You're listening to the Art of AI podcast with your host, Jerry Cuomo. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Art of AI for Business. Folks, today's episode is the first of a series of outside-in perspectives on AI. And for this, I've invited a colleague of mine, Ricardo Forlenza, to be the guest host of the Art of AI. Ricardo is our Global Managing Director for Financial Services and comes uniquely qualified to look at technology trends through the lens of industry. And today, he is hosting his friend and colleague from Citigroup, Murli Birlisar, whose services include Chief Revenue, Growth, and Customer Officer. As you're about to hear, Murli's distinguished track record of novel business strategy gives him a uniquely excellent perspective on how to drive innovation and champion value creation with new technology, technology like AI. And so without further ado, folks, here's Ricardo and Murley, an outside-in perspective on AI from an industry lens. Murli, it's terrific to have you. Good morning, Ricardo. It's such a delight to be having this conversation with you. Thank you to Jerry and you for inviting me to have a conversation on this topic. Gen AI has taken the world by storm. I think it was just about a year ago then we first became from familiar to having this term be pervasive in every senior conversations we've had. Give me a sense for how you have seen the evolution of Gen AI. Why has it taken a world by storm? So the leap that we've had as a humankind from an agrarian society to an industrial society was fairly significant. Then there was a leap from an industrial to an, call it an information age type society. And now you've got this leap from an information age to an autonomous slash artificial intelligence driven society. And that leap in my view is bigger and more consequential perhaps than what we've seen in the past. In the past, we've been able to train people to make that adaptation in each of those three eras. This one probably is a whole new paradigm. And what's actually guiding it? So in my mind, it's really three things. It's data, it's compute, and it's algorithms. Those are the three underpinning drivers The big change in my view that has actually happened is the compute environment continues to improve. And that allows us to think differently in how we sort of develop sophisticated algorithms and what decisions and outcomes those algorithms could ultimately drive. Only there are broad policy implications and kind of a a body legislation that's still in its formative stages. Europe has come out with a framework that's probably uh, market leading at this stage. The U.S. has just joined this path, if you will, to be the executive board that President Biden signed just a few days ago. What do you think is the real role that policy making needs to have in this space to ensure that we optimize value and uh, minimize impact on uh, those that might be displaced by the advent of Gen AI? 
That's a million dollar question, isn't it? The first thing that I'd say, Ricardo, from my perspective, is that the power of generative AI is probably being exaggerated slash overestimated in the here and now. And over time, it will probably be underestimated a little bit. Like any new innovation that is meaningful, people tend to overestimate the impact in the near term and underestimate the impact in the longer term. And I believe that we're sort of squarely in that hype cycle where we think everything's going to be thrown up in the air and, and be reframed, that our whole lives as we know it will be disrupted and that machines are going to rule over human beings. Not so sure that I'm ready to make that leap at the moment. Maybe in a few years, I, I might actually become a little bit more uh, sophisticated in my understanding of what it means to be sentient, perhaps. But at the moment, I think the big question is, hey, how do we recognize this chasm between the precipice that we're in today and where the future could be? How do we kind of think about structurally how some of these capabilities will look different tomorrow? I think that's a profound question. How many jobs that will replace is to be determined and how many jobs that might create is also to be determined. I think these are all unasked questions. What we do know is that the future or what I think we do know is that the future is not a linear extension of the past. And so regulations will be iterative. They will never be perfect. And I think that there are very fundamental public policy questions that you're alluding to around what is the role of a human being versus a machine in some of these areas? Do we need fewer people doing higher order work so that machines can do more of the slightly quote unquote mechanical processing that we've done historically, which would mean that that nature of the intersection or the harmony between human intelligence and machine intelligence has got to look different. Let's remember that it's generative AI, it's not creative AI. The difference being that generative AI is essentially pulling together content and data from data that has been fed into it. And where to me the future is headed is the human beings will have to have the superpower to be able to ask the right questions, to shape the context, to draw inferences, and to be able to look around the bend and understand what could be and what should be. So the role of the human being is no less critical tomorrow than it has been historically. In fact, I think even more so. So you touched on two fascinating aspects of this, right? I think many of the business leaders around the world are now focused on one dimension of this, which is, isn't this a great cost take up play? Could we not do with far fewer resources if we leverage this technology? So cost is, I think, central to a lot of the pursuits that I now see. But there is also this other dimension that you were talking about, which is justness of what we do and how we go about it. How to ensure that since the machine, praise the Lord, isn't creative, but simply generative, produces outcomes that are aligned with our intent rather than diverging from it and possibly cementing answers that aren't aligned with the, with our real strategic intent. Can we focus on both dimensions and maybe if you could spend a minute or two on cost and a minute or two on the justness of the answers and how do we best arrive at them? In sort of that first wave of the crawl, walk, run principle of adapting to a world of AI, 
to me is to some extent floundering our way into things, i.e. we will make mistakes. We are breaking new grounds. And hopefully we will learn from each other's mistakes and make different kind of mistakes in the future. But mistakes we will make absolutely uh, in my mind. And therefore, for me, the first wave of opportunity is having a structured framework through which we identify problem opportunities or uh, opportunities for innovation within institutions, regardless of which industry they're in. And maybe it is something along the lines of what do people do manually in terms of processing information, processing data, synthesizing content that could be done cheaper, faster, better by machines? Where is that manual intervention causing errors that is causing either customer pain or other forms of regulatory exposure, regardless of which industry you're in? And has a process been innovated in the last couple of decades? How has it been recast in a world that up until now has definitely achieved leaps and bounds innovation through the lens of machine learning or more traditional AI, whatever moniker we choose to use? And then is there a sizable cost associated with it? And so I think we've got a lot of learning to do. And the more of that learning that firms can do in a way that is internally focused as opposed to externally focused, and if they can take a measured approach around having a human in the loop and monitoring how these models are working and having clear metrics of success, they give themselves that momentum to continue to expand their understanding of the art uh, of the possible. So yes, I would start with cost savings opportunities. I doubt that they're as big as they're being touted at the moment, but they might be meaningful. More importantly, it's also recognizing that you're re-architecting the role of machines versus humans. So I work with uh, a client in audit, and I've had a good fortune of uh, an up-close view of how transformative Gen AI could be to a function like that, a risk management function. Because candidly, you go from sampling to doing full set reviews. Yeah. So not only do you cut costs, but you also are a lot broader in the impact you have on the firm and the ability to then offer a, an accurate perspective on the state of the business. Critically important. I've also had a number of conversations about uh, potential intricacies of uh, cementing Gen AI algorithms in how, for instance, we underwrite businesses, mortgages, for instance. There are a lot of biases that were never intended to be part of our decision-making. Yeah. If we get cemented in a Gen AI algorithm, they will probably cast a long shadow and have an impact on society that we never intended it to have. I, I would say for all the industries, but certainly for banking, which is probably yeah. one of the ones that's going to be uh, most affected by this, at least in the very near term. What are your views on the banking sector? Where do you think Gen AI will have the greatest impact what would you recommend a fellow senior banking executive uh, how to start thinking through this uh, and operationalizing some of the aspects of Gen AI? So maybe one particular thought first based on your commentary is to recognize that at the end of the day, the foundation for anything Gen AI is data, data that reflects the past. And the past is far from perfect, not that the present or future will be perfect. And uh, the, the beauty and the risk of these algorithms 
are twofold. The, the, the beauty is that they can actually create visibility and transparency on the biases of the past, the human biases that may have otherwise been a little bit hidden. They might have been obfuscated behind data that doesn't necessarily make it as obvious. The risk is that these algorithms, if not monitored and understood, can not only perpetuate the biases of the past, but can accelerate the biases of the past. And so the, the power of AI is that it can as much be used as a mechanism to understand and rectify the mistakes of the past as it is to accelerate and create more fairness and speed and clarity in decision-making if used properly. It's easy to get enamored with, hey, I'm gonna save 20, 30, 40, you pick a number, million dollars of expense as a consequence of this capability. You probably will. However, in that desire to achieve that outcome, one cannot skirt the true complexity, the gnarliness of having to sort of go through a learning process of where things could go wrong, how they could go wrong, and how you have a tight understanding of the implications of that and course correct on a consistent basis. So that monitoring is critical. I think one of the aspects that, uh, that many GenAI participants, it's now becoming a fairly well-traveled path, my view, inadequate focus on governance, yeah. which is central to having a positive, long-term, sustainable impact on our own businesses, but also, as we were saying before, on society, right? And so that's what I'm hoping that a combination of private sector, but also policymaking input will provide a framework that we can quickly coalesce around so that it can provide impetus to all. Indeed. For me, and there is, in my view, an absolute steep learning curve on that front. Not that the, the capability isn't there, it's very powerful, and not that it won't be transformative. In my view, it absolutely will be. But rather to say, please don't be oblivious to the realities, the technical realities of bridging the gap between where we are and promised land, and really kind of avoid the risk of oversimplifying that pathway because uh, at the end of the day, if we're trying to get algorithms to mimic some aspect of what humans do, that leap is not going to happen just like that. It's going to take some work. Murli, this is a question that's probably, that's set on my mind and probably in the mind of many of my colleagues. What is really going on with the boards of our largest financial institutions? How are they thinking through it? I would be controversial. And I'll tell you that I'm always a little puzzled by the limited technology fluency of most banking boards around the world. It's a real opportunity to uh, upskill our boards on a dimension that's central, in my view, to not only survival, but also to thriving in financial services these days. So what do you think is the real dialogue that's going on? And to what extent are boards equipped to make broad decisions that will cast a long shadow? So I'm going to share a view in, in my conversations with people whose roles transcend multiple industries, obviously, including financial services, uh, Ricardo, is number one, I'm happy the phrase AI in a meaningful way is starting to take root in conversations 
perhaps with nowhere close to the full knowledge that people need to have, but at least at a minimum with some degree of fascination slash curiosity slash fear slash optimism on what is feasible. So that's probably one dimension of the emotion that many senior executives across industries are facing, including board members. The other bit is this sense of uh, apprehension to say, well, I don't really understand this. I don't understand how it works. And uh, if I don't understand how it works, how can I trust this? And then the third dimension perhaps is if it's a very powerful capability, how do we have the right operating discipline around managing it in a methodical way so that we don't go off the reservation and create unintended problems that rear their ugly heads in many ways, particularly in regulated institutions, but in my view, in any industry where you're consumer or perhaps even B2B facing. And so that's probably the range of what people have, emotions that people have. And then how do you kind of take those excitement, that sort of curiosity and that apprehension and make that very real? We end up starting off with a couple of use cases. Now, I personally, I'm a little bit wary of the phrase use case. It's, it's the mindset of a tool in search of a problem. And then the focus becomes the tool. Yeah. And my view is let's actually pivot that a little bit to think about what would re-architecting critical aspects of our operations in a 12, 18, 24 months look like. And let's back our way into how do we make that two-year view a reality and recognizing that it'll be a rolling two years i.e. you'll continue to sort of evolve and you'll add and your timeline continues to extend, then you're no longer saying, hey, I need a couple of Gen AI use cases, what should I do? Rather, you're actually connecting what is art of the possible for how you want to re-architect decision-making in your firm with a recognition of where the world is heading and what could be. And then you're backing into how do I, you know, what tools do you need and how do I kind of make sense of that? How do I have an operating discipline around measurement? And what is my governance and so on and so forth? It's a delicate balancing act to an extent. I guess we're all anxious to prove the hypothesis that Gen AI can, in fact, be fit for our purposes, for today's purposes. But by the same token, I think what you're pointing at is that, that we risk falling into the trap of having, rather than solving the straight through processing issue, we end up with a computer-aided manual process. So we end up having spot little solutions that don't really think more holistically about the business issue that we were looking to address, don't fundamentally change the architecture of it, but rather go in and solve very narrow, interesting, but not transformative, small issues that don't necessarily change the firm. Indeed. Murli, I'll ask you one final question. So it's now tomorrow. Yeah. And Gen AI has become part of the fabric of what we do. Yeah. What does that word look like? And when do we get there? Ah, so I was going to ask you, what time frame is tomorrow? I'm going to pick a number. I'm going to say 10 to 12 years time frame in how I could imagine the world going. Yep. Number one is we might not be working as many long hours in several professions as we have historically. Number two is many large country governments may have evolved to recognize that 
people might be working fewer hours or you might have fewer working people. So you, you need to have public policy perspectives on how to manage that. Number three is no profession will cease to exist. The gap between the high performers and everybody else in each of those professions will widen more. I.e. the world will belong to people who can think about how they're re-architecting their careers with technology in ways that they didn't have to do historically because they're going to be able to do it cheaper, faster, better. Whether that is in healthcare, whether that is in banking, whether that is in insurance or pick any industry that you would like. How you understand the role of large language models versus medium language models versus small language models what context in which you apply it, and your ability to monitor and understand and create near real-time course corrections in order to mitigate the risk of unintended consequences, in order to create more transparency on fairness so that you're not only making things cheaper, faster, better in many aspects, but you're also correcting for the bias and opacity of human behavior for the last several decades on which these models are built. Muli, you've said some of the words that are near and dear to my heart. Uh, Opacity, transparency, governance, uh, biases, uh, drift. Those are all critical aspects of uh, what I'm going to term is a bit of a fiduciary responsibility that many of us who are in this space and can affect how enterprises and governments ultimately fair in this uh, broad new future that we are trying to chart for ourselves. Critically important dimensions. So I genuinely appreciated the time you spent with me. I also had the good fortune of working some of the decisions alongside you, which is just a, a thrill. So much appreciate your time and patience. And thanks again for making time for us. Ricardo, thank you. This was absolutely delightful. And uh, I look forward to being on this journey with you, my friend. Okay, thank you, Ricardo and Murley. Well, folks, here you go again. The themes repeat. Trustworthy AI, responsible AI, the importance of governance, and the advice to jump right in with both feet, but measure along the way. That's the spirit and the art of AI for business. This episode is a wrap. I've included relevant links in the description section of this podcast episode. So until our next episode, this is Jerry Cuomo, IBM Fellow and VP of Technology. See you soon. 